Ricciaroli of The Athletic joins us to talk about the whole sticky substance issue, seven-inning doubleheaders, plus a deep dive into the Washington Nationals and Baltimore Orioles. Beat the Shift is next. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. I caught my second Met game earlier this week, uh, the Monday game. Uh, Mets are now on a roll, although DeGrom, three innings, he looks phenomenal, but came out. Any, any update on him? Yeah, the MRI for his shoulder came out clean. He had a prior MRI for his elbow, which came out clean. I think he's just a, being a freak of nature, and he's just pushing the limits of his body. Um, I'm planning on going to the doubleheader coming up this Monday against the Braves. I hope they you know, push the Braves even lower down in the division. That'd be great. And DeGrom is supposed to pitch. So when he pitches, it's like a party in the stadium. There's just a different atmosphere there. Yeah, Mets have the largest lead of uh, any team in their division this year, uh, and they're ten games over five hundred. Uh, they were at the last day of the season in twenty nineteen. They were, but since twenty sixteen, in the middle of the season, they had not gotten to that high water mark. So a good start to the season for our Mets. Well, we've got a great show today. Joining us from the Athletic, Britt Giroli. Welcome to the show, Britt. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for this. Let's talk a little baseball. Yeah. On a nice uh, Thursday evening. And, you know, before we start, why don't you just uh, uh, tell everybody, um, you know, wh- where you got your start in the industry and uh, how did you get where you are today? Sure. Um, I'll give you the quick version of the Bricciaroli story. Um, I went to Michigan State and um, got an internship with MLB upon graduation. And I picked the Tampa Bay Rays because I had relatives who lived in nearby Bradenton. And this happened to be um, the 2008 Rays, who... As we all know, as the story goes, uh, went from worst to first and went all the way to the World Series. And it was basically like a job audition every time the, the Rays kept advancing. So I know there's no cheering in the press box, but um, as a broke college graduate getting paychecks every week, they continue to play. I was definitely stifling a lot of cheers in the press box that year. So um, after that, I went moved back home and freelanced for about a year in 2009. Did some freelancing for MLB, including in New York, and got to cover the Yankees in the World Series, uh, which was cool because I grew up a Yankees fan. And then in 2010, MLB uh, gave me the Orioles beat full-time. I covered them until 2018, in which case I went to the Athletic and spent two years covering the Nationals, and they won the World Series um, in 2019. And then in January, I got promoted to uh, national baseball writer for the athletics. So I basically cover everything now. Um, this is my gosh, I don't know what's 08 to now. It's I'm getting old now. It's uh, I, I have definitely, yeah, definitely hit pension <laughs> status by MLB standards. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And uh, uh, you do great work. Uh, and I mentioned before the show, uh, love following your stuff. And you, know, you broke a couple of major stories this year, just tremendous. And you do appear on the uh, um, Rates and Barrels podcast with Eno and DVR. Fantastic, fantastic, award winning show this year. Those guys are so smart and so fun to go on with. It's uh, what people don't realize, um, and I guess how could they, is we spend two hours taping a one-hour show because we just like each other, and we'll end up talking off-air for 45 minutes before we hit play. Um, so they're just 
they're just so fun. And the way Eno looks at the game, and I know we're going to get to the sticky stuff and it's the forefront of everything going on right now, but it's worth noting again that Eno Saris back in 2018 was all over this stuff. Um, I challenge you to find someone who has written with the depth that Eno has, with the length that Eno has uh, about this issue. So just really a unique voice in the game. Yeah, oh, you know, special, special person, uh, and he he was instrumental really in get in having me get into the industry when he uh, um, helped me get the ATC projections up on Fangraphs. So uh, there you go. Um, yeah. So let's do a little bit of a fantasy baseball strategy here before we talk about the sticky stuff and uh, covering uh, the Nationals and Orioles for our show today as we go around Major League Baseball before the All Star break. Um, double headers. I know the Nationals are going to play a bunch of double headers soon. The Mets, I know, are going to. Um, this year and, and last year alike, doubleheaders are now 14 innings, not the 18. How does that affect setting lineups for fantasy baseball uh, at all? Uh, well, I have no idea. I don't play fantasy baseball. I'm ashamed to admit, I guess, because I go on rates and barrels. Um, so I, you would have, you would have to um, fill me in on how it affects lineups for fantasy baseball. I know how it kind of affects lineups in, you know, day-to-day -day regular uh, baseball. And, and honestly, what's kind of interesting and what I hadn't really thought about is over the weekend I was in D.C. and someone said to me, oh, we're going to play some Manfred Sevens. And I was like, what? And they're like, Manfred Sevens. And I was like, okay, so does really everyone hate the, the seven-inning doubleheaders? Um, and they were like, yeah, think about it. If a team plays um, eight, seven inning doubleheaders, think of all the innings they're miss. They're missing. And I'm like, well, isn't that a good thing? And they're like, well, no, because guys are paid based on wins and innings and performance and home runs. And if you're taking away at bats and you're shortening the game, um, and you're comparing them to other guys, then the comparison is mood. It's apples to oranges, but it won't be seen like that. So it was really interesting to think about it that way. And I think I'm going to steal the Manfred Sevens term from him and just act like it's my own. Mm. Ruby? Yeah, well, for I'm going to put the fantasy spin just a little bit on this. Now, when you have a doubleheader, you're playing only seven innings. Usually you get the catcher to play one game. So it's actually, if you have a catcher on a team, you're actually going to miss out on a lot of games. Like, if, let's say you have James McCann as your, as your starter. He has three doubleheaders coming up this week. So the team is actually playing three doubleheaders in the next eight days. I think it's something like that. He's going to play maybe one of those games. He's not going to play both games. So if you have him in your lineup, you're actually losing that volume of him of being able to play more often. Starters, they're going not as deep into those games. They're going maybe four or five innings because the managers have to strategize differently when it comes to these games. So you have a less chance of getting a win out of the starting pitchers. Middle relievers, those are the guys you really should be putting in because those are the guys who are going to get more of the possibility of wins Closers also, they may only stay for one game. They may, be, may do two. So I, it's it's a very, very interesting situation. And let's say you have a guy coming back from injury. Like this coming week, I mentioned, we keep mentioning the Mets. But they have a couple of guys coming back from injury. They have Jeff McNeil coming back from injury, over hopefully over this weekend. Con Michael Conforto is supposed to come back, hopefully, by the end of ne by next weekend coming back. They're not going to play both games. So if you put them into the lineup, you can't expect them to get the same amount of volume that a regular that, that if they have a regular schedule they'd be getting. They're losing out on that volume, just like Britt, just like you said. They're losing out on that chance to get more at bats, to get to that innings threshold, to get that those are that RBI numbers. And Michael Conforto's in a, in a contract year, and he's not going to get that chance. Well, he had, he was injured, but he's not going to get that chance to play as many innings. So his stats are not going to be as quote unquote gaudy as they would be if they would if he would have played a full game. 
So I'll add the fantasy spin, and then I'll talk a little bit more about the baseball side of it. Um, you know, when you set your lineups and you, you look and you say, oh, the guy has eight games this week, and he's going to get more at-bats, uh, that's only true for the high-end starters. We're talking top ten rounds, which you're going to play anyways. But everyone else, you may not get it. I mean, uh, again, you're getting only 14 innings instead of nine for the day. That's only going to give you an at-bat, maybe two or more if you're top of the lineup. Um, I would not treat it as a whole eighth uh, eighth game. And uh, when you're setting your lineups, don't get duped into that. Uh, it's not a, it's not really a cop bound answer, but I'm I'm basically saying ignore them. Uh, pretend that it's only one day. Uh, and very often, low end players they're not playing every game. That's when they would sit in a doubleheader, especially Ruvay mentioned the catchers. Um, so be aware of that. Uh, as far as the baseball side. Um, you know, you mentioned the Manfred seven. I my opinion is I don't like the seven inning double headers because it, to me it's like a service cut. You know, I I I was supposed to get eighteen innings. I paid for eighteen innings, but what you're cutting you're cutting four there. And you're right about the player stuff. You know, I know Pete Alonso. Uh, we keep mentioning the Mets here. You can tell we're Mets fans, right? Um, you, you, Pete Alonso came out and said, "Well, I think this whole thing is just an attempt to have Major League Baseball and f- you know cut down on numbers and stuff." Uh, if, do you think that there's any truth to that, especially with, with the the, the spy Attack, substance ban, e- even this rule of double headers, uh, did that generate from the players, or maybe was why was Major League Baseball so quick to do that? Obviously, maybe it does cut the numbers down, and players are hitting less home runs because they're up less times at bat. Uh, any truth to that? No, I think it. I mean, if you look at when it started, it started last year, right? And it started because we weren't sure what was going on with COVID nineteen and the pandemic, and I think. That kind of carried over into the beginning of this year when they were setting the schedule and setting the rules. No one was sure. And I think they thought, you know, whether it's logical or not, looking back, well, the less time they're on the field, the, you know, the better, the better it'll be. So I don't, I don't buy into so much of these conspiracy theories because I think we're giving MLB almost too much credit. They're not that sophisticated, I think to you know, be messing with the balls in terms of the pending free agent class. Uh, they're not trying to suppress salaries by having seven-inning doubleheaders. Um, I just think it was a, a poor idea last year. I could see why they had it. And I think people are just wondering, like, okay, why did we have to do it this year when this year is, by all means, a, a real regular season? Okay, fair enough. Uh, let's talk the sticky substance ban. Um, you had an article uh, earlier this week. Actually, you had an article that, that came out yesterday as well talking about it. Um, in, in your article, you, you, there's a nice chart in there. It shows that strikeout rates in uh, baseball were hovering about 20% back in 2016. In 2021, they're almost up to 25%. That's a huge increase in just five years. Um, do you think – before we talk about you know, the whole banning and all that, do you think that the – increase in this has to do a, a lot in part with um, more sticky substances that are being introduced. Obviously, there's more weight training. There's more analytics. We know that that contributes also. But how much of this is really contributing, you think? So this year, I don't think – I think one of the mistakes we can make with the sticky stuff is say, oh, my gosh, this plot room is out of hand this year because of the sticky stuff. Well, that's not actually true. Guys were doing this in 2020, right? Guys were doing this in 2019, 2018. Has it got progressively worse? Yes. But let's look at what else has gotten different over that stretch. What what has made this year different? Well, the big thing, of course, is the baseball. And I think what happens is, is when you take a baseball that we know has been dead, and when you take a baseball that pitchers have talked about helping guys who are earning movement guys, 
and you look at the advances in sticky stuff, what you have is kind of that double whammy. It's a perfect storm. We are at a position now, we're at a point now, and a lot of people in baseball thought it would have taken another few years to get here in terms of suppressing the offense, and I think a lot of it has to do with the baseball. Uh, you know, we can talk so we're blue in the face about hitters and their approaches and things like that, uh, but at the end of the day, I think the, the biggest thing that has changed this year has been the baseball, without question. So, you know, the spider tack and the sticky stuff is in the news, and it's, you know, fun to talk about and debate about, and Honestly, I feel like I have a PhD in it because I probably spent 10 hours on the phone yesterday with a dozen people, um, players, hitters, league people, union people, trying to understand this this situation. Um, and the, the big thing, I think, is going to be for the players when the CBA is up to have some say in the baseball because right now they feel like they don't have any say in the baseball because they don't. And as we all know, how do conspiracy theories start? Well, they start when you don't have information. And nobody really has any information about what MLB does to those baseballs, uh, what exactly the involvement is since they bought Rawlings is. And I think that in and of itself is a much bigger deal and a storyline that we're going to continue to see evolve here over the coming months. So I want to talk about the injury aspect of it. Um, yeah, before we go to move in on that, actually, let's, uh, let's do this week's Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. So we're going to talk about injuries now, and we're going to relate it a lot to how the sticky stuff plays into it. But right now, currently, as of June 17th, there are 254 players on the IL. Britt, this is a question for you, and this is a question for you, Ariel, also. Which team has the most players currently on their IL? The Mets. I would have said that, too. That's an excellent guess. They actually come in second. They have 12 players. Um, but the top top teams... The Padres and the Giants are both tied with 13. So are these injuries affecting them? These teams seem to be playing pretty well with even with through the injuries, and they've been dealing with injuries so much. If wow. you want to go even a little bit deeper, injury types from 2020 to 2021, hamstring injuries are up 100% from 28 to 55. UCL injuries up 56%. Neck, neck injuries, strains up 57%, groin injuries up 30%, calf injuries up 266% from 6 to 16 over a 60-game span. So that just goes to show you that there are a lot of injuries out there. A lot of them is, mus a lot of it is muscular, and a lot of it probably has to do with the shortened season and the weird offseason we've had. Wow. And it's funny, then uh, the Padres, Giants, and Mets are three of the top four teams in the NL. Uh, so I'm assuming that they just have deep rosters or something, which is why they're, they're doing so well. Uh, but let's talk about the injury aspect of it. Ruben, you're a medical professional. Uh, you really are. Uh, you know, we, we were talking before the show that you know, a lot of people just you know, make their assumptions about the medical aspect of, of the sticky stuff and changing of grip, and uh, they don't really know. But you, you are a medical expert, and you have diagnosed Tommy Johns and all these things and give injections. Um, what's your take? Do you think that um, removal of the uh, sticky stuff, removing of even like the rosin and sunscreen that a lot of pitchers use, which doesn't seem all that harmful, um, to get grip? Pro uh, I, I know Tyler Glass now said he, he uses rosin and sunscreen not so much for the spin rate, but just to get grip. It, and, and he believes that the reason why he got injured is exactly because he went cold turkey and stopped using it. Do you believe that that's going to lead to more injuries of pitchers, that you're going to see more UCL tears and shoulder issues and whatnot because they're stopping? 
Well, let's take a step back for a second. The Spider Tech, it was created by this game guy named uh, James Deffenbaugh. He's a weightlifter. It was used to help pick up heavy boulders for the for the um, strongest man competition. He said he noticed that orders started to pick up and teams were actually buying it directly. This is a quote from the owner, from the creator of the of of the Spider Tech. Now it does help with grip. That's the whole point of it. But it does change the mechanics a bit. If you know you're able to hold the ball differently, you're going to use your hand differently. Um, if if you're going to get more tendon strains, you're going to get more um, elbows and forearm issues if you have to hold the ball differently. If the balls, a lot of players said the ball is slipping out of their hand, and it's slipping out of their hand, they're using their muscles in their hand in a way that they didn't train over the off season, which is why it should not have been done mid season. If anything, it should have been done giving the pitchers a, ta- a chance to get used to it so they wouldn't have these injuries. But the fact that Tyler Glass now says that he thinks that it contributed almost like 100% to his injury. I'm not going to say that's 100% because he's, he throws very hard. And he said himself, he's a big guy and he throws very hard. You don't get a tear after two times going through. He said he felt a little something after the first time, and then he felt something even more after the second time he pitched. I, I don't think it's possible for it to happen. I think what happens is, is after they start practicing with it, they start to feel issues. Now, I'm not saying Jacob deGrom does this, but... Those types of injuries, like he starts to get some soreness here, some soreness there, but there's nothing really in MRI. It's just the players using the using their muscles different because they have to grip the ball differently. They have to throw it differently. Injuries, I expect to go up. I mentioned the strains. I think blisters are going to go up. I think a lot of pitchers are going to have more broken nail injuries. We hear about that all the time. We're also going to see, this is a matter for a fantasy aspect, a higher whip. More players are going to be hit. There's How many people have been hit in the head with a baseball already, and now they're taking away some of the stuff? This It's, it's only going to get worse, and I wouldn't be surprised if MLB backtracks on this after they see that so many players get hit, because who wants Jose Alvarado pitching without something, something sticky? Because you don't know he he doesn't know where it's going to begin with, and now he's going to be throwing at a, at a batter 100 miles an hour, and he has less of a grip. I just think it's a crazy thing to do. Yeah. What's your take, Britt? Um, you're, you're close to some of the players and, and uh, people around baseball. Yeah, so I talked to a lot of guys yesterday, as I mentioned, and a lot of guys feel similar to how you feel in that, okay, you can't say that, gla- that this caused this, right? It's not that easy with glass now. Like, this, not using Rawson and sunscreen, caused his injury. Well, he's a guy who has never thrown that many innings, um, has a delivery that really is, you know, he's not Jacob DeGrom. It's not effortless. Uh, there's issues in those mechanics. You could argue that he was a ticking time bomb already, certainly. And I agree there's going to be some injuries because they put this in midseason. But to kind of play devil's advocate, imagine if MLB had let this go on for a full season the outrage of everybody around the league. It was already reaching a crescendo, it felt like, and it was only in May. So I don't think they had any other they had any other options but to put this in midseason. And I think it's hard to feel bad for guys who were born before 2020, who were born before this season. Hey, this is coming. And now they didn't build up, but whose fault is that? They've known for the last month that something is coming, and many of them chose to just go cold turkey like last now and overgrip the ball. Well, I think that there are other ways around that. So it's a, it's a really complicated issue when you consider all the different angles. Yeah, um, and I think I think it was your article that mentioned that you know you can't just say all right we're gonna take out spider tack, but we'll allow the sunscreen and rosin. Because what's going to happen is uh, there'll be some smart chemical 
person out there, a chemist, right? Chemical person would be a chemist. Um, and they'll concoct something that smells like sunscreen and looks like it, but does a lot more. Uh, I mean, is that your feeling too? Yeah, that's not only my feeling. That was the league's feeling. People yeah, kept yeah, wondering, yeah. why can't they allow sunscreen and rosin? Well, I was told that's why. The league, in their testing, found, first off, that sunscreen and rosin, when used by the right person in the right amount, can add 200 RPMs. So it's not spider tech. It's not the four or 500, but it's also not nothing. And then, like you said, you give an inch and teams take a mile, and that's the problem with any kind of universal substance with introducing anything like that in season is that teams are going to find a way to cheat. And it's really unfortunate, but that's why everything had to be banned, especially as we sit here today in an effort to clean the game up. And, and what about the devil's advocate point about the grip that, uh, you know, we certainly don't want more players hidden. Well, let's say all of a sudden we see an uptick in hit by pitches, maybe some serious injuries. Um, what, what would the league say about that? Well, is it, possible to see even more of an uptick we've been on a pretty steady incline have we not true true, true. yep That's and right. so to me it's you know will we maybe see guys get hit in the head and will it be awful yes uh will we maybe see guys not this year because they're not doing it in season but in winters to come in spring training will we see guys pitch a little differently take a little something off command the baseball a little better uh will we see guys pitch not will we see the game change fundamentally and guys don't pitch as high up in the zone anymore. Um, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, a player brought the point up to me that, you know, it's easy to say, why can't you be a command guy? Well, look at the strike zone from 20, 30 years ago when there were command guys, when, when the hit by pitches were down. And look at some of the strike zones by some of these really great pitchers. They were getting pitches six inches off the plate. If that was the case today, guys would be command guys. But the game right, has totally right. changed. And, you know, you can't just snap your fingers and wish that it was – Back to yesteryear, I mean, this is a power-pitching sport. This is a sport that hits a lot of guys and throws up in the zone. So I don't know. I'm curious to see of all the trends what happens there. Do we see more hit-by-pitches or does it remain about the same? Because I don't know how much higher it can really go. And our hitters more aware now, like, hey, these guys aren't using anything. It's 95, 96. It might be coming towards you. I don't know. Um, You know, I hope that player health and safety – is at the forefront of all this. Um, But I I don't know if this is going to make the game safer. I know MLB said that in a memo, and I know players scoffed at that. Um, I think we kind of have to wait and see. This is uncharted territory. MLB has never enforced this rule like this. Right. Uh, Ruvain, how do you think this affects fantasy in terms of are you now going to look at uh, pitchers who you suspect are using the uh, the spider tech and the substances and are going out, uh, and you're going to start trading them. Like, h- how does this affect your your fantasy play right now? I don't think at this point it affects it at all because you have to see how pe- how pitchers are going to go. Everyone right now, the poster boy Josh Donaldson made Garrett Cole the poster boy, and you know what? He's gone out twice and he's pitched pretty decently. His strikeouts may be down, but he's basically the so far he's basically the same pitcher. So you, fantasy wise, you can't really change your philosophy and how you're going to do it until you see the pitchers go through the rotation a couple times without this because I think they're going to start it on Monday or something. They're going to start this whole checking the umpires checking. I think you need to see the pitchers go through the rotation two three four times to see if you see an uptick in walks in wildness in not being able to get a literally quote-unquote get a grip um the idea is is that you don't know until you give it time right now it's going to be enforced once it gets enforced we'll have a better idea yeah that's true 
Um, and in a month's time, we'll know more. Uh, my take on this right now on uh, June 17th is, uh, and I'm the risk guy here, um, if we're talking about what is the risk between batters and hitters and between ace pitchers, the risk of fantasy starting pitchers now goes up. It just by definition has to because we now have more uncertainty, uncertainty as to who's doing it and uncertainty as to how much it helped. So to the extent that you can te- if you can tell a pitcher is not has not been using anything and there's going to be no change in them that player risk now goes down relative to the batch that player's value goes up so that's somebody you'd want to acquire more or bump up two dollars in terms of auction value a round or two um, however you want to call it um, for pitchers who don't well, I mean th- that you can't tell the risk goes up uh, and where possible if you can somehow trade an ace and get two very good pitchers for them to decrease your portfolio's risk that could be a, a, a way to do it I, I I don't think it's going to be easy to actually tell that and to actually quantify it right now it's, it's very uncharted territories but do be aware that the risk of starting pitchers, is up. And actually, I should say the risk of uh, um, closers as well, the risk of any relief pitcher. It's really everyone across baseball. Uh, but obviously, for fantasy purposes, starting pitchers are the ones that you're more interested in. Let's now talk about the Washington Nationals in our uh, preview, in our uh, discussion of deep dives of Major League Baseball teams around the country. So um, the question to you, Britt, is as we're getting towards the deadline, do you think the Nationals will be buyers or sellers? So I don't know if they're going to be much of either. That's going to be super a super boring answer for people. But, um, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people uh, in D.C., a lot of people who kind of have a sense for what's going on. And the Max Scherzer trade rumors, like I would be surprised if they traded Max Scherzer because they've never been an ownership group that has decided to have a fire sale. So to me, that would be a little surprising. I don't think that they're going to decide, hey, let's let's trade Max Scherzer. Um, I do think that if this team is out of it, um, I do think ownership will mandate, hey, let's move anyone that they can possibly shed the salaries of that's not named Strasburg, Trey Turner, Juan Soto, Patrick Corbin, Steven Strasburg. Um, I do think that there are some older Salaries on the books, Daniel Hudson, Starling Castro. Um, there are pieces, Kyle Schwarber, Josh Bell. There are pieces that they could look to move, even though they just got guys like Schwarber and Bell. I think if they do end up falling out of it, that could be something they do. But the reason I say I don't think they buy or sell is you look at the NL East, and the Nationals are in third place. They enter today tied in third place. And that was after winning just a couple games and really underperforming. So to me... Uh, you know, we taped rates and barrels earlier today, and we were talking about how, you know, which teams could sneak in there somehow. And I think the Nationals could, particularly if Scherzer, who right now is dealing with a groin injury, is on the injured list. I think if he comes back fairly quickly, uh, their bullpen's been pretty good. We've seen signs of life from that offense. I'm not ready to say that they're going to sell off all their pieces. They're certainly not going to be these big buyers. And I take you back to 2019 for evidence of that. They were a team on the fringe, and all they really did was acquire Daniel Hudson. They also got Hunter Strickland. They got Ronas Elias, who never ended up throwing for them. Strickland wasn't very good. And people kind of scoffed. They were like, this is all we did. They didn't trade any of their top prospects. I see them doing something like that if they feel like they're in it. So... Kind of a long-winded way to say I don't think it's going to be very sexy what they do at the deadline. Either way, they're not going to have a crazy fire sale. They're not going to add, make these big ads. Um, 
But I think they're really going to sit there and say, you know what, we probably have a shot because the NL East is just very iffy. Jacob deGrom, very iffy. Um, can the Mets continue to hold this out? You know, the Braves have been inconsistent. I think it's a highly winnable division still, and I think the Nationals realize that, and they realize their window uh, is is closing. So why shut it? Why shut it when you don't have to? I think they're going to look real hard before they determine that. Yeah, and in 2019, they uh, had, didn't have a great record in the first half, and they turned it on, and I think uh, they played the last game of the year and won a nice game seven on the road. Uh, so it worked out for them. Um, Ruvain, uh is uh, Brad Hand a trade candidate in your mind? And if that if that happens, because the fantasy aspect is we're always looking for the next closer, uh, who who closes after it? Well, I think Brad Hand would be a trade candidate. A hundred percent, he'll be a possible because he's a lefty. You, you need all every team can use a lefty in the bullpen, especially well. Nationals need one, and if they're going to push and they're going to make a run for it, I think Brad Hand has to be the Brad Hand of a couple of years ago, not of the one of last year who actually or two years ago who lost his job as a closer. So he can go either way. Will teams want to buy on him? Yes, but I think his the asking price may be a little bit too high. If if Hand does get traded though, they got a couple people who can close. They do have um, uh, Tanner uh, Rainey, who's who has great numbers. He's a strikeout guy. Um, he's a guy who is is in the mold of closer. He strikes out. His K per nine is eleven. Um, and you have Wander Suero, who can possibly close also. Um, he his his K rate is not as good, so he's not in the same mold as a closer. But both of those guys could close. Yeah, but Britt, what are your thoughts on the closer situation uh, after hand? Rainey's having a terrible year overall. Those ERA numbers are terrible, although he's been better in June. Um, and Suero, uh, the you know, he seems okay uh, in ERA in the threes. Could it be him? Well, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think I agree. I think Hand would definitely be a trade candidate if they determine that they're going to sell off some of those parts. Um, Hudson could get a bunch of the opportunities. I don't. I think they're really down on Rainey. He'd have to earn it back. But again, if you're trading your closer, you're a team that's kind of waving the white flag anyway. So it's almost like, well, maybe we do see if Tanner Rainey does, and who cares if he blows some saves, right? So right. I think if they, tra- I think if they trade him, I wouldn't recommend if you're a fantasy player picking up the Nationals' backup closer because it's going to be very apparent that they're not playing to win it all. And I think that the the closer role is one that you know you talk to guys all the time and the atmosphere and the environment and the excitement of closing out these games is what they feed off of. So um, having a Wander Swearer or a Tanner Rainey kind of auditioning for this role, uh, can't say that's going to be a great fantasy bet. I think you're going to you're gonna be pulling your hair out more often than not. So uh, yes, there are options. I would think that if they, they trade hand, it's going to be pretty ugly, and I would just sell off any Washington national relievers at that point in time, because I think it's going to get real ugly if they reach that phase. Uh, but there are technically other options. I just don't feel real good about either of those options. Do you think that they would uh, audition the guys and stick with somebody towards the end? Or do you think that it would go full-on committee like like the Rays are doing, like some other teams are doing? Because, uh, you know, in fantasy baseball this year, saves are hard to come by, and there are some teams that just have one guy, and there are some teams that just shuffle it and you're getting just a, a saves share. Uh, would they go the one route, even if they audition, or do you think that it would be a, a committee down the stretch? Yeah, I mean, I don't think many bad teams who sell have, like, a good closer, right? Like a lockdown guy. So I don't right, see why they right. wouldn't rotate it around. Okay, okay. Um, Josh Bell um, acquired uh, 
by the Nationals in the offseason. Uh, so far, he's earned .2 war. He's hit nine homers with a two twenty three batting average. 26 RBIs, though, in fantasy 5x5-15-team roto. He's earned $6, which he was going uh, preseason for closer to 10-11. So a little bit of a disappointment. What's your take? Do you think that the trade has been successful for the Nationals so far? Um, no, I wouldn't say it has been so far. I mean, I know uh, he got off to a poor start. He has shown some signs of life, though. I think he's 10 for 34 of his last 10 games. He's homered, uh, I want to say, twice over that stretch. He only has nine homers on the year. Um, he's a guy who you look at and you're like, well, if we can get him going, if we can get him going, and they haven't really consistently got him going. So, um, you know, it's always tough after a few months to say who won or lost a trade, but so far I don't think it's been a particularly uh, Nationals' favorite trade at all. Uh, you know, you look at uh, what they gave up, and, and uh, you know, you look at Will Crow on the other side, and I think he likes where he's at. He, he certainly seems like a guy who could eventually kind of hit his stride uh, in the big league. So right now I think the Nationals feel like, this isn't the Josh Bell that they bargained for. You know, they were banking on a lot here with Schwarber and Bell. They were banking on guys um, to have bounce back years. And so far, it hasn't really been the case. And that's been a lot of their a lot of their issues. Josh Bell has been a carbon copy of what he did last year. Last year in 57 games, he batted 226 with eight home runs. This year through 53 games he's batting 223 with nine home runs so you're basically getting the exact you were hoping to get the 2019 josh bell but you're getting the 2020 josh bell now josh bell he also has a little bit uh, not a, not a great babbit for his career his babbit for his career is around 280 right now it's around 254 so it's not that far off so it's not that he's being unlucky it's just that he's basically the same guy you got last year and he's not the guy you got from 2019 yeah, I mean, to me, I see the biggest difference is in his walk rate. He's had a career 11.5 walk rate. Now it's closer to 7.5, which is pretty uh, – it's a pretty big number. It's it's a big drop. Uh, his strikeout rate, it's also high, 26%, just like last year. Normally it's under 20%. He's actually more of a contact guy. Uh, I think that the power that you see from him, I think that's who he is. Um, his fly ball rates and homer to fly ball rates are pretty steady um, throughout his career. Maybe, as you mentioned, Ruben the Babbitt is a little bit unlucky, but we're talking like a 250, maybe 260 batting average going forward. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think this is uh, probably a little bit worse than what you paid for him. He's probably a little bit better than a $6 roto value, but uh, I don't think he'll make the full season 10 to 12 what you paid for him. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, let's go to Ruvain first. Um, uh, Strasburg and Scherzer, they're currently injured. Uh, obviously, they're a key to the Nationals. What is your injury update on those two? Well, for Strasburg, he hopes to only miss one or two starts. Um, he he tried to go for it, and, and they just the, the Nats just held him back. So hopefully it won't be too long, but groin injuries can linger, and for a pitcher, it's a lot worse sometimes. Sometimes it can be out up to three, four weeks at a time. And when you're talking about Steven Strasburg, he's seen multiple specialists already for his neck. Um they don't know when he's going to come back. He, he did some tossing on the side the other day. I think it was yesterday or the day before. And they just don't have a, a true timetable when he's going to come back. And if the Nationals are going to compete and they're going to get back into this race, they need one or two to be who they were before injury. Anything to add to that, Britt? Yeah, I think, um, you know, talking to Scherzer um, 
over the weekend and, and just quite frequently when I'm in DC, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a lingering thing. He doesn't think, um, you know, I think they wanted to get out in front of it. They didn't want it to be a three week thing. And that's why they put him on the IL. So, um, Scherzer's very in tune to his body. He's a guy who doesn't like to miss time. Um, I would be shocked if he was, you know, out for that full three week mark that you mentioned. I think Strasburg, we may not see for the rest of the season. It just, the lack of information is never a good thing. It's always ominous. Um, and I think when you are talking about a guy who missed all of last year, essentially, um, had that nerve issue, had the surgery in his hand, um, and then you are having him throw and all of a sudden he needs to see another specialist. Um, just the lack of information tells me that he's not close and there's not a whole lot of optimism and we haven't been given any kind of timeline on him. And so I'm just wondering, does that mean there's no timeline? Is there a chance we don't see him this year? Um, I think that is a possibility. By the way, Britt, are, are they uh, starting to let uh, reporters now into the uh, clubhouse locker room uh, to talk to players these days? It's field access for every, all the BBWAA, the baseball okay. writers um, are allowed on the fields. So you can have one-on-one -on -one conversations. You can talk to guys, uh, that sort of thing, which has been really helpful. Okay. Yeah. No, that's got to be a big, big, big uh, change uh, in the positive, right? Yeah. It's just nice to be able to know that you can, you know, use your relationships, right? Like a guy will say hi to you and then come over and you start talking, um, which is nice. I think guys are tired of me bothering them on the phone. You're kind of limited yeah. to phone numbers and who's you have and sure. what kind of relationship you have with them. And some guys are great at texting and calling me and some guys are not. And so it's just a lot easier to be able to be on the field at least. Right, right. Uh, excellent. Uh, uh, just to end with the uh, Nationals, are there any prospects uh, for the Nationals in the pike here that might make an impact this current year? Um, well, there are two big, like, they're big guys. They're Jackson Rutledge and Kate Cavalli. Kate Cavalli re recently got promoted uh, to double-A. Everyone I talk to thinks that guy is going to be an absolute stud, um, and that he's going to be terrific. I think that's, you know, probably what you're looking at in terms of, like, the excitement that's coming for them. Their farm system in general, though, has really been panned, and rightfully so. I think they rank dead last in most major, you know, Baseball America, MLB, um, in most of those rankings, because they've just dealt from a lot of that depth. So um, are there guys who could come up and help? Yes. Are there any impact guys in their farm system who are coming this year? No. Uh, you know, they Mason Denneberg is a guy who they had high hopes for, um, who's just been absolutely ransacked by injuries, uh, hasn't really been able to put it together. So when you're looking at the Nationals and thinking like, well, who's the next group? Um, this is pretty much it. They've graduated a lot of their top prospects. Uh, Luis Garcia is with them now. Carter Keboom, I guess you can still call as a, you know, a prospect, um, has been very disappointing. He was a guy who they thought was going to take the third base job this year, uh, really over his head, uh, was demoted shortly after that. So, um, you know, I think when you look at the Nationals and you look at their prospects, Kate Cavalli is, to me, the guy who you can't wait for, the guy you're excited for, the guy that fans are monitoring uh, even now uh, when he probably will not be a factor until at least next year, potentially even beyond that, depending on how slow they want to play him. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that encourage the Nationals to to, to do trade-off, uh, to get restock the farm somewhat if they are depleted and one of the lowest-ranked ones? Well, in theory, yes, right? That sounds like a great idea, except when you do that, you're not close. You're signing up for how many years of losing. And most, you know, 
the, look at the Orioles, for example. I mean, we're in year three of the rebuild, and does anyone think that by next year they'll be good? Well, no, they're not set up that way. So I think for the the ownership in particular in D.C. has really prided themselves on always being competitive. And, you know, over the last, like, seven, eight years, they really have been. Um, they've been a team that's been able to avoid that rebuild. And so I think they are trying to avoid it for as long as possible because when they do it, they're going to have to pretty much burn it to the studs. Um, you know, and, and it's unfortunate because if they are going to sell off pieces, well, what do you do next year when you still have Strasburg and you're still paying Patrick Corbin? Um, you know, and do you make another run at Max Scherzer? Um, you know, you still have Juan Soto in his prime and you have Trey Turner, uh, you know, staring down the, the barrel of free agency in another couple of years. So they're kind of, their roster's not set up to just burn it to the studs. So it's a really weird in-between they find themselves in. Yeah, great point. And uh, you mentioned the Orioles. Let's move on to the Baltimore Orioles. This year, uh, Cedric Mullins takes my eye uh, on uh, someone who's <laughs> exceeding everyone's uh, thoughts. Currently, he is a three-war player. We've only been about two months and two weeks. He's earned three-war this year. He's triple slash, 320, 391, 522, with nine homers, 12 stolen bases for, for Roto. Uh, 36 runs. He's the number 27th best player in Roto, which makes him a second rounder. $28 value, auction equivalent. Uh, he's the 7th or 8th best outfielder, depending upon uh, including some multi-positional ones. ATC's preseason numbers weren't that thrilled about him. 240 average. Uh, most of the projections are looking at about a 250 to 260 average rest of season, although a decent chance he does make it to be a 2020 player. Um, what's your take on Cedric Mullins, and are you surprised by what you're getting this year so far? I don't know if surprised is the right word, because when he came up in Baltimore, he was supposed to be the guy. He was the guy that Adam Jones moved off the center field for. He was their future, and then he didn't perform, and... Um, you know, I think people kind of forgot about him a little bit, especially on the national scale. And I think what he did in dropping the switch hitting was really important. I don't think a lot of projections realized how much better he would be. Um, I don't think anybody, maybe even Cedric Mullins, thought how much better he would be. But it's interesting because when you look at the projections, and I was talking about this today with someone, is he still projected to only hit eight home runs the rest of the season? And to me, that's just crazy. Um, like you said, 2020 potential. Um, you know, I think when you look at what he's going to do, I think he could. He certainly has double-digit home runs left in him. Um, he's a guy who I think has a lot of tools. They were always really in love with his speed and his defense, which is why he was going to be the next great center fielder for the Orioles. Um, and I think watching him put it together, um, I don't think he's a guy who um, the Orioles are going to trade or look to trade. He's young, he's cheap, he's under team control. Uh, he's just really fun to watch. I've watched a, a fair amount of Orioles games here. We still live halfway between the the Nationals and the Orioles, so we, we kind of rotate on and off, my husband and I. And, uh, you know, some of the the plays he makes on the, on the in the field, some of the things he does on the base paths, he's just a exciting young player. And I saw flashes of that when I was on the Orioles beat in my final season. Um, but to see it kind of come to fruition, to see it on a day-to-day -day basis, to see the confidence he's playing with, um, I can't say I predicted that or saw that coming at all, but it is really cool. Him and Adam Jones are still really good friends. They talk a lot. He just went on Adam Jones's podcast. It's been a really important mentorship, I think, through all the ups and downs to have someone like Adam Jones for him to, to be able to talk to and, and talk through a lot of this stuff with. 
yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm surprised the projections are only uh, just eight or nine homers left. I mean, if you look at his numbers, there's nothing uh, atypical about his homer to fly ball rate, his fly ball rate. Like, these are numbers he's done, and they're not totally out of whack from what you would expect an average player to be. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think uh, I would bet the over on a lot of the projections. And he might be a 25-25 player, uh, which is rare these days. A- any thoughts, Ruvain? Yeah, he's sort of the player that the Royals really wanted Alberto Mondesi to be with a little less stolen bases. He's got the mix of everything. He's he's a leadoff guy. He gets on base. Um, I don't know if you saw it today, but he was one of the players who he got hit in the head today. So I hope he's okay. But um, he's he's doing what he's supposed to. Everyone wanted him in fantasy this year because he was going to steal bases. He's got I think he's got twelve already, um, and he's got nine homers already. This is already he's ex- exceeded what he did last year. Um, he's exceeded uh, expectations for this year already and whatever you get is going to be a bonus. But if you look over the peripherals, I don't see any sign of him slowing down. Let's play a little rankings game with Cedric Mullins. Where would you take him in Fantasy League if you were drafting right now? Let's compare him to some uh, some other outfielders. Um, would you rather have rest of season Cedric Mullins or Trent Grisham? I think I'd rather have Cedric Mullins because he seems to stay on the field more than Trent Grisham does. You agree? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, like I said, I'm a fantasy newbie, so I'm going to go with the wave here a little bit. But yeah, I think if you're playing fantasy, I would assume that health is a big part of things. If a guy can't play, he can't help you. So yes, I would I would go with Mullins. What about Randy Rosarina? Mullins or Rosarina? Ooh, that's tougher. Um, I think a Rosarina probably has a little bit more upside. Um, I'd probably go Rosarina. Me, me too. I go with Rosarino just because he's got a better supporting cast around him. He has more chance of scoring more runs than him. So I think fantasy-wise, Rosarino has, like you said, Britt, a higher upside. Starling Marte. I think I think it depends. I think it depends on what you need for your team. If you need a guy for for stolen bases and you were hoping to get it out of as Starling Marte, Marte is more of a power guy now. He's he's stealing less. So I think. I'm I'm leaning a little bit towards Cedric Mullins here. Well, I'm only mentioning guys who have like you know at least 15 stolen base potential here. I I didn't uh, talk about like Aaron Judge. It's a different type of thing. That oh, you understood. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I was gonna ask like what how much emphasis is on stolen bases because that's important. You yeah, know, like, I mean if you're drafting in a vacuum, it's a yeah it's a harder question drafting in a vacuum. But you know you can compare him to to similar stolen guys who contribute stolen bases. You know. Um, yeah, I, I think I'd rather take Stalling Marte. I'm still, you know, uh, you know, he's only done this for half a year, uh, you know, uh, flashes of it last year and stuff. But, um, yeah, no, I, I, I think I think we hit the spot. I think we're talking just under a Rosarina, just over Trent Grisham. We're talking like a $20 auction value player, uh, which is a pretty nice one, you know. All right, let's move on here. Um, I'm, I'm assuming the Orioles are sellers, if any. They're not buying, right? That, that, that's a given, right? <laughs> I think you are safe there, yes. Um, w- what are uh, the potential trade candidates that you think from the Orioles? Well, I think the big ones are going to be Trey Mancini and John Means, and they both come with obvious caveats. I mean, one, John Means is currently on the injured list. Um, John Means also, I think, is a guy who has had some suspicious climbs in RPMs. Um, how is that going to affect? How is, on a, just on a macro level, I think it's going to affect trades for certain pitchers when teams look at um, and kind of observe what happens here over the next few weeks around the game. 
but certainly Trey Mancini, um, the next great Orioles team, probably will not have Trey Mancini on it, but are you going to trade away a uh, guy who came, came back from cancer, a guy who's probably the runaway, can't right, he's him, probably right? The, the runaway AL comeback player of the year. And also, I think when people say, well, you know, he, he leads, you know, he leads baseball in RBIs, or he did, I, I haven't looked uh, in the last day or two. And, you know, when you look at that and you you know, look at what he means, wouldn't he be worth a lot? And the answer is no, because on a good team, he's a corner outfielder. He's a bench player. Um, so he's not going to give the Orioles back these, like, can't-miss prospects. So I don't think that, that that really makes as much sense as people want it to. I think Paul Fry, uh, you know, a good left-handed reliever, um, could be a guy they part with because why does a team that's not good now need a lefty reliever, right? It's an easy spot to just make a trade. Um, so Fry and Means, to me, would be guys. Matt Harvey, if anybody wants him. And, again, we're talking about low-level trades here. We're not talking about big big impact moves. But to some extent, the Orioles are kind of beyond those big impact moves. They've made them over the last few years already. What about Pedro Severino? Because Pedro Severino, he's he's a catcher. He's a, he's a good catcher. He's a decent catcher. But they have these prospects who are behind him, like, Francisco was just sent down. They have Adley Rushman, who's who's going to be their stud guy in the future. Wouldn't it make sense to trade a catcher and give those ta- give those other catchers a chance? Yeah, they could trade Severino, but again, it's a it's a small move. I mean, he's a guy who I think the Nationals basically gave away, um, and then went out and got Jan Gomes and Kurt Suzuki instead. So sure, um, I think they would trade anything not nailed down. To be honest with you, that's not going to be part of their future and part of the next great Orioles team, which Pedro Severino isn't. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit of closer situation. And it's a pretty bad closer situation for fantasy. You probably want to stay away from everybody. Um, you got Cesar <laughs> Valdez closing with his fastball is 85, 85 miles an hour. I mean, that's, I think the lowest, uh, uh the lowest velocity of any guy who has a, a, a nice amount of saves in the major league baseball this year. Um, who do you think is the closer and uh, what do you think the, how do you think the saves, uh, get broken out for the rest of the season? Britt? Yeah, that's a great question. And I really don't have any idea. I mean, you look at, at Valdez and honestly, early on, he was this really good story, right? I think it was, you know, April, we're all talking about how great it is. This guy throws, you know, he's this crafty 80 miles an hour and nobody knows what to do with it. And, and very quickly um, that came back down to earth. So I think when you look at, you know, having a 36-year-old journeyman as your closer, that's obviously going to be a situation where it's going to go south quickly. Uh, Paul Fry, I think, is an option. As I mentioned, he's a guy who has pitched fairly well. Um, you know, he's left-handed, Tanner Scott. Um, they've developed him as well. Um, I think he's another option. Um, those would probably be my two best guesses in terms of guys who, who would project as closer guys. And again, I go back to my previous point of they're a bad team. I would, as you said, stay far away from a bad team later in the season in terms of acquiring their closers. And most teams are going to trade away any reliever that's any good by the trade deadline. Yeah, Scott has the uh, highest velocity of any reliever. Uh, Cole Salser has the uh, highest K rate. Uh, but who knows? Uh, sorry. Ruben. What about what about Hunter Harvey? Hunter Harvey was named the closer at the beginning of last year. He got hurt, and now he. I mean, he only, he's only has five innings so far this year. He's looked pretty good. I mean, he he is the quote unquote the closer in waiting. I would think. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't pick him up though for fantasy because he's a he's an injury waiting to happen. Look at his last. 
several years. He's been hurt basically all the time. He's very wafy. He, 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 and I think part of that part of it contributes to some of the injuries he's had. He does throw hard, and he looks like he weighs like 85 pounds, and I just wonder how that's going to hold up. But, um, you know, maybe stash him in a very deep league. I don't know. Um, I do think that, yeah, sure, they would love for him to be the closer of the future, um, but he has a very rocky injury past, and that's always just, to me, kind of red flag, especially when you're talking about a young pitcher who has yet to really have that kind of mileage. Yeah. Ryan Mountcastle, he's somewhat underperformed. He has a point, a negative, negative point three war this year. 249 average. He does have nine homers, 36 RBIs. He's not walking. He has a three, a 3% walk rate, 31% strikeout rate. Yikes. That is a big difference. Uh, he is barreling balls. His power numbers look like where it should be, but his contact numbers are out. Is this a classic sophomore slump, or is there something deeper going on, you think, Britt? No, I think I think it's it's important to look about context, right? Because we're still only in June, and over his last twenty games, first off, he had two more hits today. He's hitting three twenty with six home runs and twenty RBIs in his last twenty games. So numbers are fun, but you can make them kind of do whatever you want, right? So that's my job. I think there is, yeah, <laughs> I think there is some reason for optimism. He's always been just a bat, right? I remember in the minor leagues, they couldn't find a home for him. Um, they couldn't figure out what position he was ultimately going to play, but they always felt like he could hit in the big leagues. He was going to be a guy that was going to hit in the big leagues. And I think it looks like at least that he's made some adjustments. And I think, you know, you look at what he's been able to do lately, as I mentioned, and I don't know, maybe he is starting to turn the corner here a little bit. Um, certainly the Orioles in a very marred in a very long losing stretch, especially on the road. Um, but I, I look at Ryan Mountcastle and I feel a little encouraged based on his last month. Uh, Ruben, your thoughts? Yeah, I I tend to agree. I think he's being a little he's getting a little bit unlucky. His Babbitt is seventy points lower than it was last year. Um, and he's hitting the ball on the ground more, which is also not typical for him. He's usually hits the ball in the air. So I think once he gets that straightened out a little bit, I think you'll have the same guy. I mean, he was he always hit in the minors. He has nothing left to prove in the minors. He's he's on a hot streak now. I think he just has to get comfortable. I think toward he he did make the adjustment and he is hit, he is hitting well right now. So I think he will live up to expectations. It's just that you're not going to see it right away because the numbers started out so low. Yeah, I'm gonna go uh, classic uh, sophomore slump. Uh, he was going for about eight nine dollars uh, at auctions this past year. Um, he's not going to end up at that, but uh, you know, I think next year he'll be undervalued. I think that uh, you can probably buy him for a buck or two next year, and he'll be worth that eight nine dollars next year. So uh, look for him next year. But uh, this year, I, I think the jury's out. Um, you know, he'll have he'll be he'll streak he'll be streaky. He'll he'll have hot streaks, have cold cold streaks. Uh, so he gets more consistency. Of course, it all starts with contact, right? Um, he has to walk more. He has to see more pitches. He's not doing that. He's just swinging. Uh, when he makes contact, it is being hit hard. He has the homers, but uh, he's got to mature in his batter's eye, which I think will take another year or so. Um, let's end off the um, Orioles with the uh, prospects here. Uh, what prospects you think can make an impact this year uh, on the Orioles, Britt? So it's, I mean, they're in a much better position here than the Nationals, right? It's a little apples to oranges. They have, I believe, five guys on the MLB.com's top 100 on in terms of prospects. Um, but again, they don't really have anyone that I feel like this year they're going to 
They're in a different situation, guys, because if they had a prospect who was close, like a Rushman, for example, they wouldn't want to bring him up and start his clock with a team that's not good and not competitive. So I think when you look at the Orioles and you look at their top prospects right now, a lot of these guys are ticketed for 2022, 2023. Um, and a lot of that AA Bowie team where Rushman is and where DL Hall is, um, is the team that's going to, a lot of people believe, be the next great Orioles team. So you're looking at two, three years out for a lot of these guys. Um, certainly Ad Rushman, as you mentioned, really heads up their entire system. I believe he was behind Wander Franco as the top prospect overall in baseball. Uh, but, you know, I don't really see Grayson Rodriguez, um, right-handed pitcher. He's a guy who's probably two years out. I mentioned D.L. Hall, Gunnar Henderson, shortstop that they really like. Um, then there's also Heston, um, I believe Jerstad, Heston Jerstad is another uh, outfielder who they feel like can make a difference. All these guys are 2022 and beyond. Uh, there might be some guys who come up in the 2021 that are maybe at the end of the, the top 30 prospects, but Mike Elias has done a really good job of keeping this team and this payroll really low and keeping these guys and uh, their arbitration in check. And I just don't think he's going to call up guys who they believe are going to be part of their future in 2021 this is very much a team still in the middle of a long rebuild yeah no the good point on on the rebuild and yeah you, you won't see any of those big name prospects come up this year what about ron what about what about ryan mckenna he started off in this in, in the big leagues and they sent him down what's what's the status on him i don't know if i'd consider him like a, a top prospect um people that i've talked to in the orioles have always just kind of said you know he's he's okay he's not he's not an impact guy so I guess it just depends on how you would define top prospect. Um, I mean, is he a young guy who could be up and down? Yes. Um, but to me, I, I was looking more at like the the guys, the head guys. Like I said, the, the Cade Cavallis for the Nationals, the Rutschmans, the, the guys who are going to come up and fans are going to get excited for. Like they when Matt Leaders got called up and they announced it three days in advance so that people could buy tickets and buy their jerseys, right? The... The very exciting guys. I don't know how much a uh, McKenna moves the needle, especially in fantasy, when you're talking about fringy guys who aren't going to come up and immediately have success in the big leagues. I think it's hard enough for top prospects to come up and get the playing time and have immediate success in the big leagues. You get spoiled by the Ronald Acuna's and the Juan Zotos. And, uh, you know, I think if you're a fantasy player, drafting a young guy or relying on a prospect is really dangerous, except maybe if you're in a deep league and can stash them somewhere on your bench for a while because they're going to take their lumps. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, we're big proponents of not really going after prospects in fantasy, that the tired, true veteran, the bounce back veteran, that's really where you're going to get the most value uh, guys who've proven themselves. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of risk for the fantasy guys. When they hit, they're great, but not everybody's going to be a Juan Soto and, and really just come up out of nowhere and, and take uh, take center stage. Uh, Britt, thank you so much for coming on. This is a fantastic show. Um, can you uh, just tell the audience where we can uh, reach you, read you, see all the stuff and everything? Uh, Britt Giroli. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I feel like I learned so much. I, I keep telling Eno and DVR that I need to play fantasy baseball. I need to get on this this train. Maybe I guess it's gonna have to wait till next year. Now it's too late. Um, but you can follow me, uh, Brit underscore Giroli, um, G H I R O L I on Twitter. Um, the Athletic, uh, Athletic MLB. You can read all my stuff. Follow along there as well. 
And um, yeah, that, that's about it. Um, you can listen to Rates and Barrels every Friday. You know, Sarah, Derek Van Riper, and myself. Um, they also are Mondays and Wednesdays. They're more fantasy heavy. Then on Fridays, they dumb it down so that people like myself can understand what's going on. <laughs> I got to tell you, you, you're a really amazing addition to the show. Uh, I, I love how you just go back and forth with everybody and talk about everything on Friday. And, you know, you, that's why we're doing these deep dives on teams, because you, in order to play fantasy baseball, you need to know what's going on in baseball. You need to know about the players. It really goes hand in hand. And just the fantasy aspect is where you get to, to play and you get to put your two cents in and make your team, which is fun. Yeah, no, I like it. I'm a competitive person, so I think that's why I've held out for so long because it's going to consume my my entire life, and baseball already consumes my entire life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm actually in a in a league against DVR, so uh, we, we uh, DVR is a good player. I, I can tell you that. Uh, I I expect nothing less. I'm gonna have to start a, kind of a rookie league myself, away from all of you guys who really know what you're doing. That's for sure. <laughs> well, let me know. We'll join it, and, and it'll be a $7,000 league uh, uh, just to buy in the first year. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds about right. That's good. <laughs> Again, thanks so much, Britt. Uh, we'll be back uh, in just a few minutes here with uh, Waiver Wire, Pitcher Preview, and Ruvain's Injury Report. All right, and we're back. Time for our Waiver Wire for the week. Ruvain, who should we pick up this week? I got two players, and I'm going to stick with the outfield because it seems like all my outfielders are injured, so I'm always scouring for more outfielders. And I found one for the Mets, Billy McKinney. Since joining the Mets, he has raised his batting average from 207 to 229. And since joining the Mets also, he has four homers, one stolen base, 12 RBIs, and that's in about four weeks' worth of work. He's only 13% owned in CBS. But his playing time may dry up because Jeff McNeil, like I mentioned earlier, is supposed to come back over the weekend. They said he's only going to play second base. But Conforto, Michael Conforto, was in the same rehab game with him about a week behind McNeil. So McKinney's playing time may really dry up. But if, he's, if you can get him and you can play him for this coming week, he'll definitely get some playing time and maybe get some power out of him as well. Another guy, this is very, very deep. It's a guy I was very high on a couple of years ago, and I'm still high on him now. Jake Bowers, he's only 2% owned in CBS. He's one of the hotter players in the league right now. He is DFA'd by Cleveland on June 5th, picked up by the Mariners. In seven games so far, he has hit in six of them. He's raised his average from 192 to 220. He's playing every day. He raised his slugging percentage from 279 to 323. Now, he didn't play in 2020, but from 2018 and 2019, he actually averaged about 12 homers and five stolen bases for the season. So if you need a filling guy, he's hot right now, and he's a guy who's available in almost any league. I'll mention a Mariner, Jake Fraley, 30% owned. He is hot, hot, hot right now. In his last 50 plate appearances, so all of June pretty much, Triple slash 293, 425, 85. Four homers, three stolen bases. I would get him while he's hot and while he's playing. Um, I'm going to mention a closer or potential closer, Peter Fairbanks of Tampa Bay Rays. Only 19% owned on CBS. He had two saves this past week. Uh, uh, season 1.04 ERA, 1-2 whip, 20 Ks in 17 innings. You know, ATC preseason projected him for 14 saves, which is about three, 35% of the team saves, a 3.50 ERA, and 1-2-2 whip. I kind of see that, now that he's back, I kind of see that trajectory. And according to ATC, he's an $8 player. 
Um, I love, love the Tampa Bay Rays closers. They're good. They're good ratios. And I don't care if they only get 30% of the saves. They're still trickling in the saves. They're getting the ratios in. Um, you know, I, I my plan was before the season, and we mentioned on this show, get two of those guys. Um, really solidify your closers in terms of just getting things, right? You, you can take a half a closer these days uh, uh, if cheap. They weren't all that cheap preseason, but – Fairbanks is sitting on the waiver wire in over 80% of CBS leagues. So I would really look hard in picking him up. And and it's very it's it's very interesting about him. Pete Fairbanks, his last save that he got, do you know who pitched the eighth inning when he got that save? Could Diego Cast- Diego Castillo, the yeah. actual closer. He pitched the eighth inning, and Pete Fairbanks actually pitched the ninth. Yeah, you know, I was listening to uh, the the athletic uh, podcast Ian Khan, and Ian Khan's uh, take on the on the Tampa Ray situation is that um, whenever there's a new reliever in there, they just get they, the manager puts the the reliever in the closer situation, gets a couple saves just to show confidence, and then whoop, up to the seventh, seventh, eighth inning or wherever, just to show that hey, we can put you anywhere. We'll put you right into the fire. We'll put you in the sixth inning. We'll get matchups. Uh, and th- that's the way they're shuffling guys. And you'll eventually get to Diego Castillo more. You'll eventually get to Fairbanks more. But new guys coming in. Just put him right in the fire. They'll give anybody. The ball boy comes in, and, and he'll get a save or two. Uh, that, that's just the raise. So interesting interesting point by Ian. Um, pitcher preview. Uh, any two-star pitchers or good one-star matchup this week to pick up, Ruben? Yes. The first one I'm going to mention is a two-star pitcher, Johan Oviedo. He actually took the roster spot the, the, in the, the rotation spot for Jack Flaherty. Jack Flaherty, by the way, still doesn't have a timetable for return. He's scheduled for two starts this week at Detroit and at home against Pittsburgh. Those are actually very good starts. In his last three outings, in 15 innings, he's got 13 strikeouts, a 3.52 ERA. He's available in most leagues still, and he's an excellent pickup. Another guy I want to mention is another former Met, and that's Chris Flexen. His ERA is 4.12 with a whip of 1.29 and 44 strikeouts so far in 67 innings. But he is a matchup play. He had eight shutout innings earlier this week. In, on May 27th, he had seven shutout innings against Texas. He gave three runs to the Tigers and five to the A's in six innings. So you see there that he's really more of a matchup play. He will give you some length and a chance to win because he is pitching more than five innings. He's only owned in 22% of CBS leagues, so he's available, and he's a guy who can fill in your roster just in case you have that Tyler Glass now who's going to be out for a while, and you need to fill in that guy. He's been in the, he's been in the rotation the whole year, and I don't see a reason for him to move. Yeah, no, I like the Oviedo pick, good matchups. And I was going to mention Chris Flexen as well. Um, you know, he's got a 4-12 ERA, but if you take out the eight-run outing he gave up earlier this year against the Padres, his ERA on the season is 3.14. So one bad start. Um, otherwise, he's great, been great. I think he's a little bit more than a matchup pitcher. Um, he certainly had phenomenal outings. He's had okay outings. I think he, he to me, he looks like Marco Gonzalez. Um, and I say that because he is pitching deep into games. His last four starts have been six innings plus, including an eight-inning outing against Minnesota, uh, where he struck out eight and, and gave up only four hits in the game. But he's going to be in their length. The, the Mariners are having like a six-man rotation, and they're having length in their starters. He's going to be in to get to get the decisions. And if you're in a roto league where losses don't matter, Flexen is really perfect there. And in terms of the ERA, I see him also like Marco, where 
Gonzalez is always going to hover around like a four-year array, but he'll have some really good starts and really bad starts. And if you can pick out some of those bad matchups and just get the good ones, you can get like a 350 pitcher and pitch him two-thirds of his starts or so. So, you know, uh, he's a good guy to have on the bench. He's not somebody to drop from your roster after you use him. I think he's a keep and hold and using the right matchup. So if he's only 20% owned and this week he's pitching at home to the Rockies, that's a great start. Um, I, I like that. Brett Anderson is another pick of mine. Um, seems like he's been around here forever. He's 33 years old. He's only 9% owned. 4-2 ERA. He faces Arizona, then Colorado on either Colorado on Sunday or if they go six-man rotation, he'll be two-start next week against the Cubs and the Pirates, which is a decent week also. Last week against the Reds, seven innings, one hit, one walk, nine strikeouts. He's a guy who, in a pinch, can perform really, really well. Um, I... I I don't know. I, I always pick up Red Andersons on my teams just to stream, and he usually doesn't disappoint. So uh, give him a look. Um, any, any other pitchers, or uh, I think we we got it for this week. No, I I think that's it. I I think we're gonna start to see more available pitchers there because we're gonna have a lot of double headers, so people are gonna bring up a lot of pitchers and be a twenty seventh man. So that's just something to watch out for because keep your ear out, listen listen to when people are gonna be called up because a lot of new pitchers that the, the Mets may have an opening coming up for a pitcher. So look, they have a guy named Thomas I think Sapinski. Um, he's been pitching in AAA. They may they may call him up for a seven inning game. He can go that that time. You can get him for nothing right now. So now would be the time to you know take that chance on that pitcher that you want. Zapucky, I think. Zapucky, I, I knew I was going to yeah, pronounce it yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, so no, many, I, I, yeah. we we talked with him about a uh, 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 we talked about him with Wayne Randazzo earlier this year. Um, yeah, definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, no, you know the, the first two months of fantasy, you want to throw middle relievers and keep your ratios down. You're coming to the point now that if you look at where you are in the strikeouts and the wins, you might need that extra start from your starters uh, every so often and every week. So it does pay to look closely at the matchups on the wire, especially with all the doubleheaders. And if you can pick some good ones just to give you that extra five, seven, eight strikeouts a week, it adds up each week. Uh, so you might be switching from the middle reliever and not throw a bad outing to, well, we've got to pick some good matchups right now. Let's end up with the uh, injury report. Ruvain, give us today's injury news. Well, I have to start with Jacob DeGrom. We mentioned him earlier in the in the episode. He had right shoulder soreness. He only pitched three innings, but with those three innings, he had eight strikeouts out of nine batters, and according to CBS, he ranked number seven overall in player value for for that game, for that, for that night, even with only pitching three innings. He tested his shoulder the, the night afterwards. He actually played catch the day after, which is today. Um, they said the MRIs were normal, so hopefully everything will be good, but they may stretch him out a little bit. They may wait a couple of days to pitch him, but they said no IL spot yet. Cody Ballinger with a hamstring issue and Max Muncy with an oblique issue are both expected back next week, actually next Tuesday. Byron Buxton, his hip is still bothering him. He will be activated from the IL only when he can achieve, achieve his typical sprint speed. What does that mean? I retweeted a video of him running to first base on a ground ball. He is not even close to that, so he's still a little ways away from there. Alex Bregman, quad injury. He was placed on the IL today with a left quad strain. We don't know how bad it is yet. Um, Garrett Stubbs was called up. Zach Plezak will be throwing a bullpen soon, and they hope that he'll be ready for a rehab assignment in the next couple of weeks. Eloy Jimenez was in the news earlier this week. He's been cleared to begin participating in baseball activities. He is about 30 days away from actually doing a rehab game. So if you have room to stash and he's available, 
Now's the time to pick him up for nothing. Hold on to him, and you may actually get something out of Eloy Jimenez. Chris Sale, another guy who you may want to think about picking up soon because he's going to return possibly in July. He's actually pitching. He's, he actually threw already for the Boston staff. He looks good. He's He is already owned in 76% of leagues, so it's kind of hard to find them, but he'll, he will be available. Tyler Glass now, we mentioned him earlier as well. Um, I had mentioned on Twitter earlier this week that I would hold on to him for another month, but they put him on the 60-day IL, which means they think he may be done at least until September. You don't even know what you're going to get from there, so he's a guy you can actually think about dropping. And one other, a couple other players I just want to throw out there, players who are on rehab or going on rehab soon. I mentioned McNeil, Conforto. Luke Voigt is going to be hopefully coming back next week. Um, George Springer's on rehab. He's doing well. He said he didn't, he felt great afterwards. Miguel Rojas might be activated over the weekend. Didi Gregorius had his rehab stopped, but it restarted. Corey Seager hopefully will start his rehab at the end of next week, as will Fran Mo Reyes. That's something to watch out for. But Mike Moustakis had his rehab stopped because he been, began having heel pain again. He went back to Cincinnati for further testing. Yeah, we have Franel Reyes on a bunch of our teams, so we're hoping that goes quickly. Um, you know, you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, look at a bunch of IL guys like Chris Sale and guys coming back. Um, remind everybody, it really pays to know your platform's rules. Some platforms, I, I think especially CBS that I play a bunch of leagues on, allow you to pick up players straight to the IL. So if Chris Sale's available, you have an IL slot. You can pick him up, and probably nobody even knows that he's available. Uh, like for example, um, we have Luis uh, Luis Robert um, uh, in one of our home leagues, and you can still pick up guys for keeper. And he was just available out there. You know, you, you know the rules that CBS. You don't have to pick up and go right to your lineup. You can go straight to the IL and stash. Um, just be aware of that and take advantage of that. It's it, that little edge could put you over the top. You never know, and it's free, right? Exactly, and that's exactly why in, in our home league, a league that we're in together, I actually picked up Chris Sale for zero, and I had a room in my IL. I stuck him in my IL, and I'll hold on to him. If I need to drop him, I'll drop him. That's fine. But you never know. You may hit get lightning in a bottle. Chris Sale. He comes back and pushes the Red Sox to the playoffs and pitches great. I, we also have Tyler Glass now in that in that league. So you know what? He may end up replacing him. It's a perfect thing. You have to keep your eye out and watch for people being dropped because not only you have to pick up players, but look at the wave, look at the fab report and see who which players were dropped because you may see your next guy's next week's pickup in this week's drop. Yeah. You know, you never know and uh, when I always talk about on the show return on investment, there's two ways to have a good return on investment. Of course, you want as many good return on investments for your team. The more return on investments that are positive, you have a good team. It's all about the value. Uh, but return on investment, it's either having a good return or a low investment, right? It's either high numerator. It's it's return per dollar invested. You can also succeed in a low investment. Anything free, anything free has the chance to be extremely effective. You don't need to earn much from a player if you didn't invest any capital in them. So these free things are just so good uh, at everything. Um, never, never, never waste anything that's free or extremely cheap because that's worth more than spending a heck of a lot and just earning marginal profit on that. And it makes you look smarter in the end. And it makes you look smarter, sure. Look, I got this guy for $0, and he turned into the – look what he did. You look great. Uh, that's a good point. But, of course, it's all about the W in the end uh, and making that return there. All right, Ruben, uh, tell us uh, where we can see your stuff, follow you, and all things Ruben Guy. 
Well, you can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out all these injury updates. Next guy up, how long I think they're going to be out for, based on my medical opinion. And you can follow and read my weekly Rotoballer article, which comes out every Saturday morning that helps you get primed for that week's fab running. And my name's Ariel Cohen. You can uh, read my stuff over at uh, Fangraphs Rotographs. Uh, on, I'm on Sportsline and Rotoballer. Follow me on Twitter at ATCNY, and of course, you can listen to me right here on the Beat the Shift podcast. Once again, so much thank you to Britt Giroli for coming on the show uh, to talk a little Nationals, to talk a little Orioles, talk a little bit about baseball and sticky substances. Definitely give her a follow, uh, and definitely uh, read her stuff on The Athletic. Really great stuff. She's broken some fantastic stories and really knows what's going on. Uh, once again, thanks to Britt. Thank you, Ruvain. And uh, from all of us here at Beat the Shift, We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.